1: Hello, and welcome to Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Jason Goodger, Commissioning Editor at BBC Science Focus Magazine. In this episode, I talk to Tim Gregory, cosmochemist and author of the book Meteorites, about meteorites. So we're talking about all things that are space rocks, and this is very, very confusing. There are lots of different terms, and this is something that trips people up a lot. So I think the best way to start is for us to go through a series of definitions. So what is a meteorite? What is a meteoroid? What is a meteor? What is an asteroid? And what is a comet?
0: Oh gosh, we've got all these words. I guess it wouldn't be science if there wasn't a load of jargon that came along with it. But to try and simplify things. So we have meteoroids. They are loosely defined as objects in space and so they encompass asteroids and comets and asteroids and comets they're in orbit around the sun along with the planets and we mostly find the asteroids between mars and jupiter in the asteroid belt although there are are quite a few in the outer solar system as well. Comets they generally follow much more elliptical orbits they don't orbit in nice circles like the like the planets and the asteroids do. They orbit in in ellipses they're sometimes really close to the sun and sometimes far away now I guess one of the one of the strange things about asteroids and comets is that there's no really clear distinction between these two types of bodies It's one of the things that we've learned over the last couple of decades about these objects is that they're not really that distinct from each other. Rather than having comets and asteroids as two separate classes, they sort of merge into each other. You get some asteroids that are very comet-like and some comets that are very asteroid-like. We, we used to have this view where comets were these dirty snowballs that were incredibly ice-rich and ri- rich in volatile elements like nitrogen ices and things like that. But we actually find asteroids that are like that as well. And so the distinction between comets and asteroids is blurred but they all fall into this great category of meteoroids now meteors they are pieces of debris that fall to the earth and as they fall through as they fall through the atmosphere they get incredibly hot and so they start to glow incandescent and so the comets and the asteroids they they fall together in this grand category of meteoroids objects in space now, meteors, that's the, that's the light phenomena that's associated with debris falling from outer space to the Earth's surface. And as this debris, which is generally quite rocky, falls through the atmosphere, it's, it's traveling incredibly quickly. You know, we're talking about you know, tens of miles per second sorts of velocities as they fall through the atmosphere. And that generates quite a lot of heat. And that heat causes, causes them to glow. And that light that we see they are the meteors, and and it's where the name meteor shower comes from. These are these are events in the night sky where you get you get more than you you normally get on a on a normal night, and you, you get them all the time. But meteor showers, you get a higher rate than normal. And another name for meteors are shooting stars. They're, they're exactly the same thing. Shooting stars are meteors. Now. Because they're travelling so fast and there's so much heat generated, most of them get destroyed before they reach the Earth's surface. They just sort of fizzle out into dust and never quite make it. But the lucky few that do make it to the Earth's surface, these are the meteorites. And so just to sum up, we've got meteoroids, they're objects in space. Meteors, that's the light that's associated with these these rocky debris
1: falling through the atmosphere. And meteorites are the bits that land. I was reading your book earlier, but- called, funnily enough, Meteorite, you track through the fascinating history. They've So they've always sort of been prized by human beings. And there, there are several really famous meteorites discovered throughout the ages that you mention. And, you know, could you just talk us through a couple of those, a couple of your favourites? Oh, gosh, the, the, there are so many. You know, one of the things that I learned while
0: while researching the topics that, that ultimately made it into Meteorite, my book, was that the history of meteoritics is actually just about as fascinating as the science, as the stones themselves. There's a really famous example of ancient people encountering meteoritic material. So King Tutankhamun, who is perhaps one of the most famous ancient people to ever have lived, in his linen that, that, that his mummified body was wrapped in when his tomb was discovered, in his linen was this beautiful handsome dagger this dagger was about a foot long and it was sheathed in this beautiful, beautiful sheath made of gold with this sort of mother of pearl hilt on it. And the blade from which that dagger was, was, was forged was actually made from an iron meteorite. If you look at the chemistry of the dagger that belonged to King Tutankhamun, the blade of that dagger, it actually matches perfectly the chemistry of iron meteorites. Now, th- this iron blade predates the Iron Age by thousands of years, and so a natural question for archaeologists was: Where on earth did the ancient Egyptians get the iron to make King Tutankhamun's dagger from? And it, it turns out that the iron came from the sky; it fell to the earth as a meteorite, and the ancient Egyptians used it to make this sacred object. And so, you know, we've we, we've been encountering meteorites for thousands of years, and probably way into prehistory as well. And it's really only the last few hundred years that we've been studying them with a sort of scientific perspective. In fact, it was only in the early 1800s that the modern minds of science really accepted that meteorites were real and that they did, in fact, come from, come from space. And so it's a fairly new science.
1: Yeah, that is some, uh, just a, an amazing thing to think of. And another thing, like now we're in the state of knowledge that we are in. So considering, I, I mean, God know I mean, do we even know how many of these are hurtling through space?
0: Thankfully, th- there, are, there are agencies around the world that track asteroids as they orbit around the sun. But the, the real answer is, is that they're countless in number because there's no real lower limit to how big one of these objects in space can get. We have a pretty good idea of where all the big ones are and where all the medium ones are. But it depends how small you go. There are, there are millions of these things orbiting the sun. And in fact, it's, it's tens of thousands of tons of extraterrestrial rock falls to the Earth's surface every year which is just a a number that um is kind of beyond comprehension really that amount of material
1: falling from the sky so say i want to find one how how do we go about finding them you know obviously people have found them over the years and studied them how do you do that and how do you know this is a bit of rock that's a meteorite That's a really good question. So
0: it it sounds like an alarming number, 40,000 tonnes or so of extraterrestrial rock falling to the Earth's surface every year. But the thing about meteorites is that they fall roughly evenly all over the surface of the planet. There's a slight tendency towards the equator, but they fall roughly evenly, which means that most of the material that falls from space actually ends up in the oceans because Earth is about 70% covered in water. So most of it's completely lost. And as for as for the you know the thirty percent or so of the earth's surface that isn't covered in water, it's is almost entirely uninhabited. We humans, although it feels like we have, you know, entire planetary domination, we actually only occupy a very, very tiny fraction of the earth's surface. And so most meteorites fall unnoticed and they just simply weather and become unrecognizable parts of the earth. However, there are places on the earth which are really, really good places to look for meteorites. And the best place is actually Antarctica. About two-thirds of all known meteorites were collected in Antarctica. There are are a couple of reasons why Antarctica is so good for looking for meteorites. And one of them is simply that by the time meteorites have passed through the Earth's atmosphere and and undergone all that, that heating, they're generally quite dark when they fall. And so they stand out atop the ice. They just stick out like a sore thumb. And another thing about Antarctica is on the ice sheet... If you find a rock sat on top of the ice sheet, it can't really have come from anywhere else but the sky. It's not like a mountainous region; there are no rivers or cliffs or anything where where rocks can fall down. Um, if you find a rock on top of the ice, it probably came from the sky. But the other cool thing about Antarctica is that over thousands of years, the Antarctic ice sheet flows. If, if you watched it in 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 fast motion, if you sped time up, you'd see the ice flowing a bit like a river. And you get these particular zones in Antarctica where the ice flows together and then gets blasted away by polar winds. And the ice, as it flows, it it carries meteorites like a natural conveyor belt and dumps them in these places called accumulation zones. And every year, people go to these accumulation zones and hunt meteorites there. And we found tens of thousands
1: over the last few decades. So that that's the best place to go. But say, you know, we're UK based. Say I wanted to go on a on a meteorite hunt. Could it is that a possibility or is am I just clutching at straws? So here
0: in the UK, we're I guess fortunate enough to live in a place where it, well, firstly, it rains quite a lot. And 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 secondly, it, it's very green. You know, there are lots of fields lots of forests, that kind of thing. And so really, you know, I, I wouldn't personally recommend going out with the specific aim. Of looking for a meteorite, because chances are you would never find one. Although it has been done, um, people do occasionally go out with metal detectors, and and once or twice people have found meteorites doing that. But you're you're really looking for a needle in a thousand haystacks. The only really reliable way of finding a meteorite in somewhere like the UK is to very patiently wait for one. And if you see a particularly bright one, and you and you happen to see where it lands, um, it's not it's not unheard of of people finding the debris from those events. In fact, there was one at the beginning of last year in Winchcombe where a really bright shooting star was captured on CCTV cameras and dedicated hunters went out and found pieces of it. So it does happen.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. So say if I, if I do see one of these you know, shooting stars, these meteors near me and I want to go look for it, what do I look for? So... When meteorites have fallen through the atmosphere, they're
0: generally quite dark. And so if you, know, if you do fancy going out to look for a, for a fallen shooting star, you're looking for dark rocks on the ground. That's the, that's the telltale sign. Um, it's one of the only ways, actually, that you can often tell that it's a meteorite that you're looking at until you sort of take it into a laboratory and get a specialist eye. Most meteorites, when they fall, they have this... It almost looks like a varnish on the exterior of the stone that we call a fusion crust, and this varnish is the the once molten surface of the stone that, that quickly quenches shortly before landing. And it is thought of this 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 lovely black varnish that you get surrounding the stone called called a
1: fusion crust. So that's one of the telltale signs that you've just found a meteorite. That's amazing. If I do, if I'm lucky enough to go out and uh, see a shooting star falling and I uh, find one, would I be quids in? So it, <laughs> some
0: meteorites are incredibly valuable actually most of them are not are not that expensive you can actually go on ebay and buy meteorites for just a couple of quid often in fact funnily enough the meteorite that i studied for my phd at the university of bristol i actually bought that off ebay (laughs) no way yeah i did i I bought it from ebay which apparently raised quite a few eyebrows in the procurement department at the university when we tried to get the expenses back Uh, (laughs) so i i bought this um it was about an apple-sized meteorite for a few hundred quid off eBay, and it ended up being the subject of my PhD. And I actually withheld the review on eBay until I'd finished my PhD and um, <laughs> and verified the age of the meteorite, and it turned out to be 4.6 billion years old, which is older than the Earth itself, which I guess definitively proved its meteoritic origin. So that particular settler got a five-star rating from me. But anybody can go onto eBay and buy a meteorite. They're not that expensive, but there are different types of meteorites, and some some types of meteorites are incredibly expensive. And I guess probably the most expensive meteorites are the Martian meteorites, and as the name suggests, these come from the planet Mars, and and so you can imagine that scientifically they're incredibly valuable because they're the only way that we can get pieces. Of the red planet in laboratories here on the Earth to learn about it, and secondly, they're prized among collected as well for obvious reasons. There's something quite exciting and captivating about about a rock that comes from Mars, and so they're they're probably the most expensive meteorites.
1: That's like really fascinating. So, my next question, obvious question that everyone's going to want answered is: How does a piece of Martian rock end up on Earth? Oh, it's a, it's a great question. So.
0: All meteorites pretty much start life uh, the same way. They exist on a planetary body somewhere else in the solar system, usually an asteroid, sometimes Mars, and sometimes the moon. And the first thing that has to happen for it to become a meteorite is it has to be ejected from its parent body, and they're ejected by impacts on the surface. And this is, this is beautifully demonstrated by our closest celestial neighbour, the moon even with the naked eye you can look up at the moon and you can you can you can see the impact craters on the surface of it it's absolutely covered in these impact craters and these impact craters they're formed when impactors strike the surface of the moon at hypersonic velocities and the amount of energy that's released we're talking about you know, thousands of nuclear weapons worth of energy released in a couple of seconds in many of these impact events. And that amount of energy ejects rock off the surface of these bodies and into space. And most of this debris actually falls into the sun, but some of it makes it to the earth and some of that material becomes meteorites. And so it's exactly the same with Mars. If we look on the surface of Mars, it's covered in impact craters. And and it's these impact craters that are the source of
1: the martian meteorites that's mind-blowing to think that they make their all, all the way here to earth you know it's wow so how do we know they come from mars oh another good question so so first of all we have the lunar meteorites
0: and and they're called the lunar meteorites because they come from the moon and we know that they come from the moon because we have apollo rocks the, the apollo astronauts brought pieces of the moon back to the earth and we can look at these meteorites side by side with the Apollo rocks, and they're, they're very, very similar. So we, we're pretty sure that the lunar meteorites come from the moon. With the Martian meteorites, we're not so lucky because, of course, we've never been there ourselves. We've only ever sent robots to the surface of Mars. And so a good question is, how do we know that the Martian meteorites come from Mars? Well, it turns out that in, the, in, in these Martian meteorites, there are tiny little bubbles of gas And if you very, very carefully measure the chemistry and the isotope composition of the gas that's trapped in these bubbles, well, first of all, it's unlike anything that you would ever measure on the Earth. It really is truly alien, this gas. But it is just like the gas that was measured elsewhere. Specifically, the chemistry of the bubbles trapped inside the Martian meteorite is exactly the same. As the composition of the Martian atmosphere measured by the rovers that land on the surface of the red, of the red planet. And so this, this gas, this, this chemical and isotopic fingerprint that we find inside the Martian meteorites is a perfect match for the Martian atmosphere, which I guess is indisputable evidence that these meteorites actually originate from Mars, which is just amazing to think that we
1: actually have pieces of the red planet here on the Earth already that fell as meteorites. That's fantastic. So you mentioned then the, the one that you were studying was incredibly old. So how, how do we date things that are that old? Yes, my, my particular
0: area of research during my PhD was the, was the chronology of the early solar system, the, the evolution. And, and one, of the, one of the cornerstones of looking at the evolution and the formation of the early solar system is by dating meteorites. And we date meteorites using radioactive decay, So some elements are naturally radioactive, and as they undergo radioactive decay, they become new elements. And so a really good example of a radioactive element is uranium. Over time, uranium naturally radioactively decays, and it ultimately ends up turning turning into lead. And so if you measure the amount of radioactive decay that the uranium in a meteorite has undergone since it formed, by, by measuring the amount of uranium that's decayed and the amount of lead that has grown into the meteorite throughout that decay. It's actually a relatively simple calculation to date the meteorite itself. And it's one of the it's one of the really sort of distinctive things about meteorites of their antiquity. They're about 4.6 billion years old, which predates planet Earth. In fact, it predates all of the planets, they, they were among the first rocky material to form right at the beginning of the solar system's history. And a lot of what we understand about the formation of not just our solar system, but solar systems in general, come from the chronology of meteorites and dating
1: them. So they're so old, as you say, older than than the planets in the solar system. So what role did they play in the formation of planets and things like that? So... Once upon a time, our solar system, it it, it
0: didn't look anything like it looks today. It used to exist in interstellar space as a giant cloud of gas and dust called a nebula. And you've probably seen pictures of nebula. They're these beautiful, beautiful structures that sort of span the distance between the stars, these giant clouds that hang in interstellar space. The Orion Nebula is a really lovely example of this. And these nebula, they're, they're incredibly thin and wispy, but every now and again tiny pockets of these nebula begin to collapse in on themselves gravitationally and at the center of this gravitational collapse you eventually attain temperatures and pressures high enough to ignite fusion reactions and and a star is born this is how our sun was formed and around these early stars around these young stars that form in these collapsing nebula some of the gas goes into orbit around these early stars and eventually this gas begins to condense and turn into minute motes of rocky dust. And this is what happened in our solar system. So the sun formed and gas went into orbit around our young sun and eventually condensed into tiny motes of rocky dust. And it's these motes of rocky dust from which the asteroids were formed. And it's, and it's this, these motes of rocky dust that ultimately the planets are formed as well. And so the meteorites, they preserve this earliest history of the solar system by preserving these moats of rocky dust, they record the sort of the, the, the earliest history of the solar system, this process from, from gassy nebula to rock and ultimately, I guess, the building blocks of planets.
1: So that's why by studying these the meteorites, we can learn more about the evolution of the solar system. Absolutely. One of the cornerstones of natural sciences is
0: understanding the history of the earth. And you know the be- the best way of understanding the history of the earth is by using the rocks but there is a limit to how far back in time the rocks of the earth can take us to get back into the the prehistory the prequel if you like to earth's history to its planetary history you need meteorites because they're the only surviving
1: bits of of rock from that period of the solar system's history we can't talk about space rocks without talking about the idea of panspermia the idea that actually life didn't Originate on Earth, but it came here on a space rock. Okay, so I don't want anybody listening to this
0: to go away thinking that there has been evidence of life found inside any meteorite that's ever been discovered because it hasn't. There's never been any evidence for life discovered in a meteorite. But there is a rare group of meteorites called the carbonaceous chondrites. And as the name suggests, the carbonaceous chondrites are or they can be incredibly rich in the element carbon. And some of these carbonaceous chondrites contain quite complex organic chemistry, carbon-based chemistry, so things like um, carboxylic acids and aromatic hydrocarbons. And some of them even contain amino acids, which kind of makes people, I don't know, it makes their their eyes light up when they hear that, because amino acids, they're the molecular building blocks of proteins, and life on Earth is made of protein. Amino acids are aptly named the molecules of life because they're, they're, they're often called the building blocks of life amino acids. And we find them inside meteorites, which raises the really intriguing possibility of a link between life on Earth and meteorites. And it is possible that the material from which life on Earth originated from was delivered to the early Earth aboard meteorites like the carbonaceous chondrites. But it's really important to stress that the The organic chemistry that we find inside meteorites is is abiotic. It didn't originate as a consequence of life. It originated um, in the the absence of life. Um, It's it's prebiotic, perhaps. Uh, But there, there, there could be a link between the organic chemistry on which life on Earth is based and the organic chemistry that we find inside these meteorites. Also inside carbonaceous chondrites, we find copious amounts of water some carbonaceous chondrites, w- w- when you pick them up, you know, ten to twenty percent of the weight of the meteorite is actually water. Now, you can't wring them out like a like a wet dishcloth, and, and water comes dripping out. The water is bound up in the mineral structure of these rocks. But the the particular isotopic composition of the water that we find inside carbonaceous meteorites is very very similar to the isotopic composition of the water that we find here on Earth, which leads to the quite intriguing hypothesis that earth's water originated from meteorites like the carbonaceous chondrites and so at some level there probably is a link between life on earth and meteorites but the idea that life originated elsewhere in the solar system and was delivered sort of pre-cooked to the earth aboard meteorites there's there's no evidence
1: at all that that happened and also like um another one i bet you get asked this all the time so obviously when people talk about space rocks impacting earth the first thing most people are going to think about is the dinosaur extinction. A bit back, we got the Chelyabinch impact. So, what's what are the odds of that sort of thing happening again? Right. So, I, yeah,
0: perhaps I guess one of the most famous impacts on the surface of the Earth happened 65 million years ago and caused the extinction of the dinosaurs as, as well as many other species on the Earth. As for as for the odds of such event such an event happening again. Um, it's it's essentially guaranteed. Um, we we live in a solar system that's absolutely full of rocky debris, and it's that old cheesy Hollywood line of it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. That really does apply. That really does apply to asteroid impacts on the surface of the Earth. It will happen again, um, but you know, being being an intelligent species and being a spacefaring species, crucially, we actually could develop the technology to To stop such an event happening again, and I really, really hope we do. I think that um, you know, in the long term survival of humanity, really does depend on understanding asteroid deflection tactics and what would we do if we found an asteroid that was on a collision course with the Earth, because it will happen again. As for whether or not we can prevent it from happening, that that's only down to us, really.
1: So it was studying for a PhD that led you to write your book on meteorites.
0: So during my PhD, I learned an awful lot about meteorites and meteor showers and comets and asteroids and that kind of thing. And I felt really lucky to be learning about such an interesting topic that had such a lovely history to it. And and is also kind of with us all the time with meteor showers and comets often make the news and meteorites make the news. And I guess that was my main motivation behind writing my book, Meteorite. And so I tried to include, well, the book is about the science of meteorites and the history of meteorites, Uh, but I also put a guide in for meteor showers and I also compiled all of the meteorites that have fallen in Britain and gave a little bit about the history of them too. And so if if anyone listening does see a British meteorite falling, please do let me know and I might try and update um, the book for another edition.
1: (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius. That was cosmochemist Tim Gregory. If you want to know more about meteorites, check out his book, Meteorite. Or to hear him talk more about meteor showers, head over to the Instant Genius Extra podcast. Pick up a copy of BBC Science Focus magazine in shops or visit sciencefocus.com.